Welcome to Elise's Point Conversation Edition. I'm your host, Elise Goral, mental performance consultant and sport karate athlete. Join me as I talk sport karate related topics with guests inside and outside of the sport. My guest this week is Dr. Sarah Hopkins. Sarah is a chiropractor and is also the owner of a multidisciplinary clinic specializing in age group athletes. Her mission is to keep athletes competitive as they age, a mission that I am personally grateful for. Sarah is a practitioner in sport, but is also an athlete herself with several top three finishes in age group triathlons and top 10 at world championships. Sarah and her clinic, Body Lab Recovery Science, are offering a Niagara Community Acupuncture Program, which introduces acupuncture to help those in need of healthcare at a rate that they can afford while donating to a community charity. So welcome, and thank you for being on the show. I'm really looking forward to talk to you about the wear and tear of sport, youth in sport, and the aging body. All right. So as an outsider to sport karate, because that's really the focus of this whole like Elise's Point podcast, that specific sport, how do you interpret the sport and what do you think about it and why? Uh, so basically I learned about the sport through you guys because I didn't know a lot about karate or sparring or any of the things that kind of went with that. And I've only seen it through treating you guys. So what goes on in your hips and your shoulders and your back and the stresses that puts on your body. So what I've noticed through like physiologically is the amount of tension that you guys have in your muscles, like especially your quads going into your hips and your hip flexors, because you can generate so much power through your hip flexors for a kick, for example. Um, and that much training. And then also not only are you producing that much force, you're also receiving that much force when you get kicked and hit on the other end. So it's really interesting, actually, your flexibility is quite phenomenal because you need such a large range of motion, but then your muscles and joints are also very tight at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So the range of motion you have within like each like shoulder and hip is are really, really good, but the muscles that and tendons that surround it are quite tight. So your hip flexors, uh, quads, hamstring, glutes, everything that surrounds like the hip joint, for example, they're you're typically quite tight and you compensate a lot. So whenever I do like muscle testing, you typically have one side that's weaker than the other, as you know. So just in my, what I do is kind of keep people symmetrical for lack of a better word, um, because in your sport, it's very one-sided. So you hit with one, you typically punch with one or kick with one leg, have a stance leg and a kick leg. You punch with one arm and have a block arm. So the changes side to side is very interesting and we joke about it as our sport like we have one side that we have like armor on like it's just like we have trained it but if we get hit on our bad side it's like we become marshmallows like really yeah because it hurts <laughs> yeah, yeah that, uh, so if you get hit on your kicking leg is that the one that hurts or if you get hit on your stance leg on my stance leg that's like okay yeah. 
So that actually, your stance leg is going to have different fiber types than your, than your hitting leg. Cause you want to generate more power through the leg that you're hitting with. And then your stance leg is there basically for support. So you have more of a type one fiber. It's more of a postural type structure to it. And you've trained your muscles to work that way. So they're not used to receiving impact. So your whole, like the, the blood flow and everything is so different and you don't have as much blood flow in that leg because it's, it doesn't need to, your muscles aren't contracting and activating as quickly. So yeah, you would, and you probably bruise more on that side than the other side. Probably. I haven't noticed it. I bruise pretty easily. <laughs> but yeah, I know that would make sense. Do you notice coaching younger athletes, like common injuries that you, you are always seeing? or A lot of it is in back and hips. Yeah. That would be where it's like they just seem sore or like, yeah, your hip m- muscles and joints take a lot of beating yeah but I also don't think like I mean I'm just discovering how important your back muscles are (laughs) okay so like it's so interesting to me that everything is so connected and that like your hips hurt but it could be caused because you don't have like you haven't developed your back muscles yeah absolutely or the flexibility in your back so if you have a very rigid spine into your pelvis, you can't get, you're trying to get the flexibility out of just the ball and socket, like just your hip joint, instead of your whole pelvis and your back rotating into it as well. And that's mm-hmm. where, like you said, mobility and flexibility really come is really, really important. And that's even more important as you get older, like going through puberty and kind of entering the teenage early twenties, people lose a lot of flexibility as joints start to actually come together and fuse and yeah so you'll notice a lot of probably biomechanical changes in that age group style of fighting will change a little bit that's so interesting that you say style of fighting changes while you age like that's such an uncomfortable idea for some people in my sport because you're like you're succeeding and then all of a sudden your body just decides to grow. And there's nothing you can do about that unless you want to take like drugs and stuff to stunt your growth, which is terrible. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. (laughs) No. So it's just sports that happens like gymnastics that happens naturally. Yes. That's they're so competitive in that sport that it it really like the development happens so much later in life and not later. Like instead of having a 12, 13 is happening more at like 16, 17, but you should embrace this change if you can get kids to get on board with that and kind of embrace the change and try something new, they may become better at it. I agree. I mean, I say kids, it's like teenagers. <laughs> oh, I'm the same. I have, so I, I've known my sparring group since they were like maybe 13, 14. So they're all like kids to me still, but now they're like early twenties and 18. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh, those kids. Oh, that you kids are so, I know they must hate it, but oh, always be kids. Yes. So because you aren't an insider to the karate community, which I love, I think we need more outsiders in our community, in my opinion. What is your relationship to sport and what do listeners need to know about you to confirm that you know what you're talking about? Um, Well, if you look at physiology and biomechanics are the same they're, we're all human and mm-hmm. 
every sport and every athlete is different. So regardless of what you're doing, every single person is different and you have to acknowledge that difference in order to treat them or get them to perform at their their best. Um, that's not only training, but that's also like nutrition and sleep and how their body ad- adapts to sleeping and um, recovery, which is really important. So for myself, I look at every athlete, regardless of their sport, I look at them as like a biomechanical puzzle. And if you take out the, yes, they do a certain thing every single day and just kind of test muscle test them and look for symmetry within this within the person and then you can bring in the sport later so hockey players for example they all have externally rotated hips because that's what they need to skate so but making sure they're symmetrical both sides is really important because everybody has one side that's stronger than the other in your sport you definitely have one side that's stronger than the other because they have to do different things so you have to be aware of that going into yes you might and you probably see, especially in younger kids that are growing, they'll develop muscle on one side of their body or one side of their spine a lot more than the other side. So their rectors and anything with like a twisting, any sport that involves a lot of twisting to one side, like hockey, for example, you always hit to one side, golf, you hit to the one side, you will develop muscle on that one side. And you just have to be aware of that going into treat them or train them that that's actually a normal for their sport. Do you do any sports? Just I think that is a very unique thing that you also bring to the table. I do. Um, so I was a competitive swimmer, most of all of high school, uh, university. And for, in the summer, when I was a kid, we used to do triathlon for fun as a way to keep in shape because of pools. Like typically we had, our season was September to June. So we had the two months off in the summer. So we would cross train, bikes, run, and do different things in the summer just to give our shoulders a break. And that's when I found triathlon. So I've been, like as a kid, I always did it um, more as something to do in the summer, something to do on weekends. And I found I got pretty competitive when I finished chiropractic college uh, in the ITU program is the sport uh, world championship program. So I did that for four or five years. And now I, as I get older, I'm finding it very hard to do that kind of training, that really high intensity, short training, and I'm enjoying the longer training more. So I started doing uh, more of the Ironman distance triathlon training. So that's my next goal. Your goals are pretty ambitious. I think that that's very, like, very awesome. And um, yeah, pretty exhausting, especially when you're trying to balance being like a full-time chiropractor practitioner as well. Yeah. Time management is definitely of the essence, but it's also coming out of doing so much school, you kind of just learn how to balance life. And yes. uh, yeah, it's, it also, it, it's important to me to be able to have that kind of, and be part of my practice. Like people know that that's what I do. And a lot of my patients like that. I know cycling, running, swimming, and a bunch of different other sports just to kind of implement that into their treatment and giving them advice about coaching, nutrition, rehab, <laughs> injury prevention. Yeah. Injury prevention. Cause not a lot of people, people think about doing it, like doing their sport, but they don't necessarily think about the oh I have to relax because that's also something that sport entails recovery yes that is how you become good at sport is becoming good at recovery 
which mm-hmm. is a really hard notion to accept. Like you said, like I have to train harder than my opponent. I have to do more than my opponent to be better. It's kind of a misnomer. You do, but you also have to be smart about training. So you have to train hard, but you have to train smart. And training smart involves proper nutrition, recovery, and sleep. So that it's mm-hmm. a balance of everything, not just, you know, hitting the bag as much as you can. So just because I want to get into your background a little bit too, can you please define what a chiropractor does and maybe your own philosophy as a chiropractor? How does this help with like everything that, you know, people are doing in sport? So chiros are great because we are so kind of diverse in what we do. There's a lot of different avenues people take. So I think of myself as more of a diversified chiro. I do a lot of soft tissue, acupuncture, muscle testing, biomechanical analysis. You can kind of look at the person as a whole and then figure out, okay, what, what does this person need? What's going to be the best route and treatment plan for them to get them to perform optimally? Like, again, pelvis, pelvic work, legs, hamstring, getting everything to move properly and also having a good team. So I do have an amazing physio that I work with and we work really well together. We can bounce ideas off of each other of how your how to make this athlete perform at their best and not just athletes we treat everyone pre-surgery post-surgery seniors babies because the body is just the body the human body and everybody has something that they can kind of work on to become better and pain-free so that's my type of chiro there's a ton of different kind of types of chiros out there we talked about the central nervous system, which is also really important, especially in sport. You want your central nervous system to be activated. So you have high dopamine and that's again, with adjusting and kind of working with the spine and the back and getting the most amount of response out of that, that you possibly can to get, make sure your muscles are stimulated and ready to go and primed for race day or competition day or whatever. I mean, I love the job and I love being a chiropractor because of the diversity that we have. So I think that's really interesting with your philosophy. And, you know, I love this notion of trying to make everyone pain-free because, you know, when you're an athlete, you have to be kind of, I guess, comfortable with being in a little bit discomfort. But then there's this idea of like pain and chronic pain. And that is something that like, yes, to push like push your cardio or like push your muscle growth that sounds terrible but like um (laughs) you have to you have to push yourself you have to push your body and in that sense you might interpret it as being painful but if you're in pain all the time like what does that mean yeah and that's the huge dividing is that you I mean, working with kids is great because you can teach them like, it's okay to be in pain. You want to be in, you want to feel uncomfortable. If anything is uncomfortable, it is comfortable. You're not doing it right. Like if you're doing some sort of, it's going to be uncomfortable and that's how you grow. And like, if you wake up in the morning and you're sore, especially in your twenties and thirties and (laughs) golf, that's good thing. You're growing. It means you, but when you're in chronic pain or you have an injury and it just, it's sharp pain. It doesn't feel right. That is when you have to start looking at, okay, this isn't right. And something is going on here. And that's more when uh, like we call them like acute injuries start taking place. Like uh, you'll start getting some bruising. You may tear something. And that is because of 
something isn't right. And that is the pain you should be like looking at. Chronic pain is typically caused by chronic inflammation. So if you have a joint that's chronically inflamed, you're going to start getting tissue breakdown, arthritic spurring, tendinitis, tendinosis, that kind of stuff. And that's when injury starts to occur and your body starts breaking down. And that's what you really want to start focusing on treatment and different like avenues of care you can take for that. So trying to explain to people pain and you want pain is not necessarily a bad thing. And I know it has a bad name because everyone's like, Oh, you should be symptom-free pain-free. Well, true to a certain extent, but you also want to be in that uncomfortable state. And I agree. That's so interesting too, but especially as like, I like to say youth athletes, you know, you put them in sport because they're like sponges. They want to learn, like they just absorb everything. But then with this notion of pain, how important is it to make sure that they understand the difference? And that's, yes. And that's a hard, like, I mean, we both coach kids and it's really hard to kind of get them to understand the difference being uncomfortable and, you know, yeah, your muscles are sore and yeah, it hurts, but I think really think you can, you know, push a little bit more go five minutes longer understanding that. And then understanding like, Oh no, like my shoulder is like, I have a sharp pain in my shoulder or in my hip and it just doesn't feel right. Then, and using different kinds of like, we always say like, is it achy or dull or sharp? And we kind of use those adjectives to be like, Hey, what to understand what kind of pain that person is going through and then understand like, Nerve pain is typically sharp and achy pain and dull pain is usually more arthritic. And so we can kind of figure out like diagnostically what's going on with what kind of pain they're having. But getting kids to understand that is it is very difficult. And it takes the parents and the coaches and everyone to kind of work together to make the kids understand, okay, you know, it's okay to have this kind of uncomfortable pain-like. And you'll get some kids who you know they're in pain because they never complain about anything. So when they do or when they start crying, they're in pain. Yeah, definitely. I think we like I think we both know those athletes that like they just don't seem to feel any pain all the time, but they are they they do get injured. Do. And usually yeah. their injuries are pretty severe if they are injured. Yes, cuz they will push through and ignore the little stuff, the kind of pre-injury kind of your body will start telling you like signals, your symptoms, your body starts telling you like, this is, you should stop. And they just push through that and then they get really injured. Yeah. So it's so interesting. They learn from that situation and they start listening to their bodies. So it usually takes once and then they start listening. (laughs) Yes. It's such a interesting, I mean, it's a balancing act for sure. You know, knowing oneself and like how far you can go with it too. So Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that's like coaching is such an independent, like yeah, coaching teams is kind of different, but each athlete is so different. You have to, every coach has to realize that and you can't treat every athlete the same. Really interesting conversation so far, but what is this idea or what is overtraining? So overtraining is basically your inability to recover. So once your body has reached a point where it can no longer recover, you're basically in overtraining mode. And this is happens a lot more with aging athletes because their bodies just can't recover at the same rate that a younger, like a younger body can just that's Mm -hmm. unfortunately aging. 
So the symptoms that you kind of get with overtraining, if you're looking for them, are fatigue, decrease in performance, which is the big one. And so when athletes' performance starts decreasing over time, you know they need a break. Like they're, they need to recover, they need to eat, they need to sleep, they need a couple of days just to recoup. Um, and then this, I mean, it's a huge balancing act. Every athlete recovers differently. Some recover by doing gentle, more endurance kind of, you know, they just need to go for an easy run. Some need to do absolutely nothing. So it's, again, it's over time and being an athlete for so long, you kind of figure out, okay, what's my breaking point and when do I know I, I need break. Um, an easy way for all of us, whether we're super athlete or just regular kind of day is check your heart rate every morning. If your heart rate is five beats per minute over your average heart rate, when you wake up in the morning, that's your body telling you, you need a recovery day. So if you had an intense workout plan for that day, don't do it. Like talk to your coach or just take it upon yourself to say, I, you know what? I'm not doing this workout. Instead, I'm going to sleep and for an extra hour, drink a ton of water, make sure I get my, my food in and my macros in properly, and then give it, give it a day and start back the next day. But that's the easiest way to kind of measure how your body internally is doing. And that's so, it's such an objective kind of measure too. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Because when everything else is so subjective, that's like an easy, objective target to look at. Yeah. And then associating it with like, there's also this, this idea where weakness and not like, this association between rest days and weakness and like the felt sense of, you know, getting up and being like, Oh, I'm tired, but I'm still going to go train right. versus, yeah. Oh, I'm tired. Maybe I should take a rest day. <laughs> and you will perform better in the long run if you do that. It, but it is, it's a huge mental block to get over. It's like, I'm going to lose more weight if I eat more food. Well, you are. And that is a very hard block that people just don't understand. They eat less and their body retains all this. Like I, mean, I do endurance sports, so it's huge. And I see it every day. Like people just don't eat enough calories. So their body holds on to all of their energy and they can't lose the weight. Whereas if they started eating more, you, the weight would stop, start coming off. But I mean, that sign, like when you think of it, it, it just doesn't make sense logically. But unfortunately, that's the way it works. <laughs> because we are also talking about like the aging body and there's different stages of sport in someone's life. Like you unfortunately will have to change once you become confident in like a certain performance, like you'll just have to readjust. So with young athletes, what are some repercussions of overtraining? And you can define what you, what you mean by young athletes. Cause I think young is a very subjective term as well. Yeah. Like in my sport and yours, like we have age groups. So, I mean, you can race at a very high level to into your seventies in triathlon and, and it's just <laughs> the way it's divided by age. Um, so young, yeah, young, but if you're looking at, uh, like high school, university, they push really hard. Varsity athletes push in, doesn't matter what sport incredibly hard. And the coaches push them incredibly hard and it is changing. But like when I went with swimming and my sister and we were like doing 10 K swim practices were regular. That was just what you did every day. 
And unfortunately it just breaks you. And a lot of, and I see this more in swimming because that's what I've just seen more athletes in is that they're done. They do varsity and they never, ever get back in the pool. And it's sad because they're just these amazing athletes and they know so much and they, and a lot of them go to coaching, but they just won't ever swim again. And that's, that is what overtraining does. It makes them, it makes you not like the sport anymore, which is so sad. And unfortunately that's just, and with research and stuff and different types of training and incorporating more weight training and flexibility, mobility training into their sport, it will hopefully change. But with sport being so singular, like every, you just do that one sport, especially now kids typically only do one sport and they only train for that one sport. And, you know, when they hit their twenties, they're done. They've done that. They were competitive for their six years and they're just, their bodies are broken. And so is their psyche apparently. Like it's very sad. But like we were talking about earlier, there's so many like really exciting things that are happening in sport right now. Just the way that the age defying, I suppose. Yes. That people have written them off. Like we have all these, we have amazing young athletes too, but like we have these like incredible older, we'll call them veteran because apparently if you're over 30, (laughs) you are aged out of your sport. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Who are just doing phenomenal like things. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in your, especially in like the sports psychology background, like COVID, like what that had on sport just annihilated teenagers because they, how do you not train for a year in your prime of your age? But now like, you know what, maybe it's not the prime of your age. Maybe you can do this into your twenties and thirties and forties. For example, like Brent Hayden is a swimmer and he's 37 and he was retired and he came back and he's going to Tokyo for 50 meter freestyle, 37 years old. I don't think there's ever been a swimmer that's been that age that has made the Olympic team for Canada, especially. And you're seeing it across the board, Tom Brady, 43 years old and football is not an easy sport on your joints. So it's just defining science and everything we know about it, which is really, really cool to see what's going to happen in the next 10 years. But I think that's also training. We're looking at training differently and looking at whatever sport you're doing, you should be doing mobility and strength training along with it. So you're not just doing that one, you're not just sparring all day. You're doing other different things to help your body stay injury free and recover it's like you said, it's like more like you said, like you're a chiropractor, but you treat it more like a puzzle. Like it's the same thing. Yeah. It's like a puzzle. But how far can, how far can you push the human body? Very far apparently, but <laughs> you're yeah. a lot stronger than you think. Yes. And then, and then we see all these MMA fighters breaking their bones at like the young age of the young, yeah. young age of like, 30 to 35. Like, I can't stress that enough that 35 is not ancient. Maybe in your sport, if you don't like, I mean, that's a very hard sport on your body. Well, I mean, physiologically, your testosterone levels start decreasing at the age of 35. 
So men, especially at that age, it starts decreasing about one to 3% per year. Now these people who are finding MMA aren't your typical, like, you know, regular average Joe, but your body does start breaking down about that age. And then with that much stress that they produce on their bones over time, I mean, are they more likely to have major injuries? Uh, probably later. Yeah. Like 30 to 40 more than the average 30 to 40 year old who's basically done nothing. Yes. So, but yeah, they, I mean, are they getting, they should not have any kind of like osteopenia or any kind of like anything like that if they've been training like that for most of their life, but they're definitely more susceptible to injury. And that's just based on like hormone changes that go on, like, you know, start kind of in your thirties. I mean, women have to deal with that for a long time, especially with training. But yeah, there's a lot of kind of changes that happen, even power. So like your as you age, your muscles turn more to like type one, which is more endurance type muscle fibers. The ones that I have, you guys have type two, which is more power. Uh, but as you age, your body naturally changes that. So you're getting more of the endurance kind of type muscle type fibers. So I think we are changing that, like, especially with sport, but on like for a normal person, that all happens in your thirties. Which is so interesting because like your, your, your body changes with your sport performance. It is, this is kind of the theme that I am seeing, I suppose. I come from the mental aspect of sport and I can empathize that young athletes, especially in some sports are fueled by this idea of if I don't put in the work now, I will miss opportunities in the future. How can young athletes manage this idea while keeping in mind that you only have one body? Mm-hmm. You have to think of it, well, unless a marathon and not a sprint. Um, yes, you have to put in the work now to gain like reaps of benefits and rewards later. But at the mm-hmm. same time, if you don't put everything in, like if you're not eating properly and sleeping properly and recovering properly now, you're just going to get injured later your body, instead of building it up, you're just breaking it down. And that's the huge kind of bridge that people have to at one point realize that there is a breaking point and your body will, I mean, you can get stronger and stronger and stronger well into your thirties and forties. If everything is there, if you have every component of sport, which is not just training, sleep, rest, like recovery, everything, you'll have, you'll be injury free and you'll have no problem. But if you don't combine everything and you only put in, you know, train hard, train hard, train hard, train hard, you're not giving your body anything to train with. Yeah. So it's kind of getting over those mental hurdles of, you know, this is what we believe for so long and all those beliefs are changing. And there's like, definitely, I can see that being stressful. Oh, absolutely. Especially when we have, there is this mentality of putting in the work and training harder than my opponent. What are some issues that you can see in this? Oh, well, injury. That's the big one is yeah. that they have to, you know, train harder than, you know, they see their opponent training or they know what they're doing and they have to train harder, but also realizing that they're not their opponent and what works for them may not work for you. So really kind of seeing yourself as an individual person an individual athlete, regardless if you're in a team sport or not, um, even if you're in a team sport, you're still an individual person and you have to realize this is how I get stronger. 
And this is how I train at my best and not look at somebody else just because they only look at their training. They only look at one aspect of what they're doing. They don't kind of look at everything else that that person is doing on the sidelines. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like an iceberg. Like what you see at the tip is not exactly what everything else that that person is doing every single day to make them perform in that way. So let's talk a little bit more about this aging body concept, because I think it's really important, especially with everything that's going on in sport right now. Yeah. I mean, us being two veteran athletes, apparently. (laughs) What are some differences that you can see from a youth body who is starting to get competitive and a mature adult body? Like if that has done the sport for a long time? Yes. Okay. So if you, because I think there's two big differences if you're just starting the sport and, but you've also done the sport for a really long time. Like those are two different bodies for sure. Yeah. So if you look at like your sport, for example, it's so much muscle memory, like the technique, it's all technique and all the forms and everything you do when you're young, you, like you said, your body's a sponge, like little kids are amazing. What they can remember and what their bodies can do. You're like, it would take me forever to learn that. And so they can develop that from a young age and they just, they just keep getting better and better and better and faster and faster and faster. And when, so, and then as they do that, they're not only are their bodies changing, like their femurs are growing, their tibs, like if muscles are trying to adapt, you have growing pains in there, like in the 12, 13 year olds. And then, but they, they still have that muscle memory that never goes away. And that's kind of the really cool thing. Um, even if, athletes kind of, you know, move away from the sport for a while and come back, that muscle memory comes right back with it. It's really, really neat to see. Uh, their flexibility is usually not the same, but with movement, with a lot of sports that are like 99% technique that never goes away. Swimming is one of them. Teaching somebody and teaching an adult how to swim who's never swam before is very different than teaching a kid how to swim because they just have different muscle memory, motor patterns, like all of these things that you kind of develop as a kid. It's, you cannot, it takes so much longer to develop it as an adult. And the main thing you see as you age is, you know, these micro injuries that start to come to fruition and tendon injuries, um, tendons and muscles become more dehydrated as you get older, your muscle types, you know, it starts to change a little bit. Your joints start to change. Um, if you've been hit a lot, you start to get a little like degeneration in your hips, range of motion is not quite the same. So that's the kind of stuff you see like in an athlete who's done it for so, so long and you, they just eventually they can't compete at the same level that they did when they were in their prime. It's kind of distressful for that mature adult body too. It is. And especially mentally, like you have to, Mm -hmm. they have to realize that, you know, like I'll know I'll never swim as fast as I did when I was 16 years old. I'll never be able to do that. I can swim okay now, but it will just never. And you, you just have to accept that as an adult. Yeah. Go to that train smarter, not harder. Yes. Mentality. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, it doesn't mean that you can't reach other limits that you couldn't do before, like running or like in other sports. But if you are trying to be as competitive as you were when you were a kid as an adult, it just won't happen. Because you have an aged body. 
And you have, it's, I mean, if you've been doing it forever, it gets broken down like anything. Aging is a very hard and heavy opponent to have. It's not something you can really prevent. It's not. I mean, and most of the research shows and these athletes like Tom Brady and stuff have shown like strength training is what kind of prevents it is you, cause it's the muscles and tendons that are breaking down. So you want to keep them built up. So you need to supplement whatever sport you're doing. You have to incorporate more mobility and strength training into that sport as you get older. Even if you're doing less of your actual sport and more of the supplemental training on top of that. Which is so interesting because we do take these like muscles and joints kind of for granted. Like we really, really like focus on these like big muscle groups, but like, yeah. And you say like the joints and the tendons, if I'm saying this correctly, are the first to go when you're aging because they're taking so much force. So it's like, you have to focus in on that. Can you like maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So just so, so your tendons are what your muscles attach to. So you have your muscle in the middle and the tendons on either side where your joints are just to, and then you have all the ligaments is like scotch tape that holds your joints together. That's yeah. <laughs> the scotch tape is what typically breaks first. So that's where inflammation sets in like around the joint. Cause it's the joints that's doing all the rotational movement. So for you guys, it's like all rotational movement. So you get, that's where the inflammation sets in and we set chronic inflammation, tendons become gummy, they become inflamed, they become thicker. And that's what, that's when you get, you know, arthritic kind of joints or tendinous tendinopathies and you get, it's all based on inflammation. This is when ice baths come in handy when you get older, as uncomfortable as they are, they get rid of a lot of inflammation. So that's, if you can use the muscle properly, which is when like rehab strength training comes in, then you're, those muscles are moving in their proper range of motion. They're kind of relearning how to train. You're doing all the little supplementary, like all your small rotator cuff muscles around your shoulder and you're using those and they're, and you're not compensating with the big muscle groups that you're used to using all your power with. Mobility. Who knew how important that was? Cause that's something that we take for granted when we're young. Yes, exactly. That is one of the first things to go is your flexibility and mobility as you get older. And like, you don't notice it until you can't use it. Yes. You go to like, fortunately over and touch the floor and you're like, Oh, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I remember being yep. able to do that. Yep. See, that's, that's the, that's the interesting part. And I don't want to say it's messed up. I just find it very interesting that it's like going back to your brain memory and your brain remembers like your body's a brain. Like it remembers being that flexible and doing all these, all these other things that you might not be able to do right now. If you're in a mature adult body. Yeah. And you have to accept what your body has and what you can do. Like you yes. have to realize your age yes. and what you can do and you can challenge it and force it, and, but you have to put in the work. Mm-hmm. That's in, that's really great that you say put in the work because I'm like also sitting here and we're joking back and forth being two old ladies, but like, I don't want listeners to be like, start digging their graves already. Oh. Like, no, like you said, look at all the people that are defining age. So yeah, you, but you, I mean, it is, it takes work and adjustment. Yes. And that's hard. That is a very difficult process changing. 
Oh yeah. I mean, when you're used to training in a certain way your whole life and then be like, I just can't do this anymore. I have to change the way I train. It doesn't mean stop. No. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I think there's a confusion there where people hit a limit, but it feels more like a stoplight than it is like readjustment period. Yeah. And I find like working with adults, if they're, they're doing really well and that, you know, they started running and whatever, and they're, they're on this great road and then they get injured and then they stop and that's where it stops. And I'm like, if you stop now, you will never go back. So you need to work through it. Even if you have to slow down or change what you're doing and add some rehab in, but don't stop. Mm-hmm. Like athletes, it's, it's all or nothing sometimes. Yeah. But they, is, that's the mentality you have when you grow up, all or nothing. Yes. Single-minded pursuit. Yeah. Which is great when you're seven. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, sometimes not to, but <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to talk about, because, you know, bodies are so different. Like, are there differences between genders beyond the obvious that affect performance? Yes. I mean, obvious, yes. So males just have more, they have leaner bodies, they have more muscle. They're like an athletic body of a male ranges between 4% to 12% body fat. Females keep like 12 to 25% body fat. And that's just, unfortunately, that's physiology and you can't change that. And so in, and in like sprint sport, like your sport, men are typically stronger than women. And that is physiologically that's the way it is it's changing women are learning how to kind of play and how to train with their menstrual uh, cycle there's really cool app actually for that now that we can track our menstrual cycle and know when to train so we can kind of trick our bodies into training and when to do those hard workouts according to like when your hormone cycle is and when you where you are in your cycle which is really cool um it's called fitter women if anybody's interested in the app um and then there's like your body processes nutrition different. It processes uh, neurotransmitters differently. Women tend to have more type one fibers, more endurance fibers, whereas men have more type two, like the power fiber, muscle fibers, and they can put on muscle quicker than women. That being said, if you look at like Ironman, like endurance sports, there's a very small difference between men and women in like the end result because women are, and I'm sure one day women will surpass men in endurance sports. In power sports, I don't see that happening just because men just have that, their ability to put on more muscle and it's different in genders, it's different in cultures, it's different in ethnicities. And that's just, that's just physiology. Um, you can manipulate it and you can change it with hormones and diet and kind of playing with hydration. But in the end, there is a difference between genders that will always be there. Mm-hmm. And I love how you like emphasize, like, you know, it changes the game changes for each gender. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Like and endurance sports? Yeah. Oh yeah. The endurance sport is like women are will I'm sure one day surpass a male in or if not be on par. Because oh yeah. like if you look at an endurance sport, especially the ones that are like, you know, ultras that are hundred miles, 150 miles, there really is not a lot of difference between a man and a woman at that, at that distance. 
Um, but when you're talking about brute power, physiologically men can just put on more, more muscle than women. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's hormones. That's just, yeah, we see that a lot in my sport as well. Well, then you have math, pure mass. Yeah. And physics at that, especially with you guys. I mean, you, if you hit something that is more of, of more mass, that person isn't moving. Nope. And that's just physics. Like there's, a, <laughs> you can kind of work with the angles and work with, but in the end, mass usually wins. So yes. Yes. And then there's the whole, again, physics idea that, you know, the smaller you are, the faster you can move. Absolutely. You're just not going to hit as hard. You're not going to hit as hard. No. And you see that a lot in like NHL, like the little guys who are fast and can shoot and can score, they're protected by the guys who are seven feet tall and massive. So that in a, in a, when you're looking at like a team sport, it's very interesting to see how they work with everyone's kind of ability and physiology and makeup to make the perfect team. It's so interesting how, I mean, like genetics plays a huge part in, in a lot of sports especially when we were talking about like the outliers that are the Olympians. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But Um, Usain Bolt, nobody thought he could run. He was, he's huge for sprinter. He's lanky. Yeah. But he just defined everyone and he's the fastest man in the world. There's definitely outliers. Yes. And I also really enjoy, so we see standardization of movement as well. And then you see, a different body trying a different set of movements and seeing immense success in it as well. Yeah. And we're all standing on the sidelines being, I don't understand how this person is moving that fast, that way. but it works for them. Yeah. And that's when you have to realize every single person is different. Like mm-hmm. females, cue angles on females different on every single female. Do you ought to work with what you have? And being different isn't a bad thing. No, typically it's a good thing because all those Olympians are different. It's true. Yeah. Okay. So coming from, to your expertise, what is a tip or trick that you can give about body maintenance to young athletes? Uh, Use recovery to your advantage. So knowing like, if you're a younger athlete and you're taking the time to do like the mobility training, we were just talking about what that we're doing now, cause we can't move anymore and stretching and all the supplementary training. If you're doing that as a, as a younger athlete, you're going to keep your body young for way longer than all the people who are. So if you have that in your back pocket, your gold, golden ticket. And when mm-hmm. you're tired, like you said, when you wake up in the morning and you're, you know that your body is not recovered and you take that off day in the long run, you are leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. You're not only are going to be injury free. Um, so you'll be able to do your sport longer. Your body will, you'll become more in tune with your body as an individual and as an individual athlete. So because we're talking about how bodies are different. What is a tip or trick that you can give about body maintenance to a more mature, experienced athlete? Don't take stretching for granted. So people are like, oh yeah, I stretch. I do my 30 seconds each muscle. I can know like, even if you're doing one body part a day, but do it right. Roll it out, stretch, hold the stretches. Um, in order to get like a neural response in your stretch, you want to hold it for two minutes. 
So holding like, you know, you can do a quad stretch for 30 seconds. That's not doing anything in order to get a neurological difference and response. You want to start holding these stretches for up to two minutes and you can do full body, like, you know, leg up kind of bent over or palm facing up full, like uh, posterior chain stretching. And you can hold that for two minutes, but the longer you do that, the, you'll get a actual neurological change as opposed to just, Oh, I stretched. It feels good right now. So doing the maintenance as like, as you're kind of at aging into your twenties and thirties and forties, if you want to keep competing in, as, as you get older, really start taking the mobility, stretching resistance training into, and putting it as part of your sport or part of your training. Okay. So is there anything you would like to add or that you were wondering about as a result of this interview? Um, I don't, I think, we're definitely at a tipping point in like sports science. I think we're luckily at finally adding more of like the mental aspect of sport in, which is super exciting to see. I hope we do more of that, especially, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's done to kids. I'm hoping that people take like sports psychology more seriously and realize, you know, that it's a huge component to being a competitive athlete. I think like, it's so interesting to me with this whole, the interview, like what we're talking about, you are more, I would say like your lens is like physiology and I have no idea about that, but we are bouncing ideas of like holistic body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Cause like you said, like your brain controls everything and if it controls everything, that's probably the one you should work on the most. Yes. Well, there is definitely a back and forth, especially like with pain, like, you know, if you feel pain, don't power through it. Like your brain and your body have to work together. Yes, exactly. And it's learning that learning the difference between being uncomfortable and being in pain. My other question was, how can people contact you if they want to continue this conversation? Uh, They can go to my website at bodylab.ca And that has all my contact information, email, uh, which is drsarahopkins at gmail.com or my phone number. They can call the clinic or they can, my text number is also on there so they can shoot me a text. Thank you for listening to Elisa's Point Conversation Edition. Thank you, Sarah, for the conversation. And thank you for helping me keep my body together. Did you enjoy the conversation? Please subscribe or follow me on any of the major streaming platforms. Please rate on Apple Podcasts or write a review. I love hearing from you and the ratings and reviews do help independent podcasters like myself. Music by Atch. If you're interested in what I do, mental performance consulting, research, karate stuff, and more, please check out my website, embodiedmentalperformance.com, or email me at embodiedmentalperformance at gmail.com.